book of the Bible, the last words of the Lord our God. Be more specific, you can say that these are the last words of the Lord Jesus to his church after he has ascended and returned again to heaven. And almost always when somebody speaks last words to their family, what they want to do is they want to give a message of encouragement, a message of hope for those whom they are leaving behind. The same is true with the Lord Jesus. He wants to also encourage his church, whom he has left behind when he ascended into heaven. Now, the book of Revelation is one of those books that people find very difficult. Many of our new members in our congregation in Brampton were new to, to the faith, either kind of skip the book or they don't really get into the book because they say we don't understand it, we don't know what it says, it's just too difficult, or as one lady said, it's too frightening because of all the images of beasts that you find and the dragon that you find in that particular, in the book of Revelation. And so in it, you will find descriptions about God, God who has white hair. You read about the Son of Man who has a tongue with a sharp two-edged sword. You'll read about dragons. You read about horrible-looking beasts with all kinds of horns. You read about great battles, such as the Battle of Armageddon. You read about the harlot and the woman who sits on the beasts, and about Babylon. And the list goes on with all kinds of different images. And so this book of Revelation is quite different from most other, other books that you find in the scriptures. That makes it also very difficult for us to understand. Now you do find some of the same kind of imagery in parts of some of the prophets. Think of Daniel. You find it also in a few places in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus speaks about the end times. But almost the entire book of Revelation is full of imagery and pictures. And in this book, the Apostle John receives a vision from God. And it's a vision that, uh, that gives us a, a, a picture or a painting, you might say, that contains all kinds of symbols within it. And the difficulty is to try to understand all those symbols. And the result is that when people read this book, they will often let their imaginations run, run rampant. And they come with all kinds of interesting ideas and all kinds of books you can find in Christian bookstores that, that read about the last days. You think about books about the rapture. But the interesting thing is, is that these are all things that comes out of people's imaginations. These are not the things that God teaches here in the book of Revelation. And so this morning, and also as working through the book of Revelation, I don't want to get caught up in, in all the little, little details, because before we can look at the details, first of all, we need to understand the big, the big picture that God has given to us here in this book. And when you begin to see the large picture, then you can also begin to understand how the smaller details fit into that larger picture. Perhaps you can compare it to a, the painting of a, a famous uh, paint, uh, painter. Right? The, uh, the painter may be painting a certain scene, maybe a historical scene. In the scene, that you'll find all kinds of little details. And when a little child comes into the room and sees the painting, uh, he may just see that little doggy in the corner of that painting. And he gets all excited. He says, look, doggy. But as an adult, yeah, you also see the little dog, but 
as the, the child points that out to you, but you realize uh, that that little dog is not really the focus for the whole painting. When you see the painting, you see the, the whole scene. Perhaps it's a scene that depicts an important historical meeting, and you right away you understand the context, you understand what is going on there in that painting. And that little dog that's in the painting just adds something to, to the scene, and maybe some kind of symbolic element that is being added. But it's not the focus of the scene. In the book of Revelation, Jesus gives us a visual representation of the history of the world. And so we need to, to see that this book describes the entire history of the world in which we're living. And when we begin to see that framework, then we can also begin to understand some of the smaller details and see how they help us to, to understand better also what's going on in the history of this world. And so when you just focus on the little details, you cannot see the whole picture anymore. And so then also this morning, I will focus on the big picture so that we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a broad vision of the history of this world in which we are, are living. And especially from the perspective of Christ's church, how we can also see how our role and our place must be seen within the history of the world in which we are living. And so we'll look at the first three chapters and we'll look at it under this theme, the Lord Jesus lives in the midst of his church. The Lord Jesus lives in the midst of his church. And under that theme, we'll look at four things. First of all, we'll look at the purpose for this book. Secondly, we see Jesus among the lampstands. Thirdly, the church as the lampstand. And in the fourth place, we'll see the church is victorious. And to understand the message of any book, we first of all need to understand what the purpose is for the book. Why was it written? What does the author want, to, want me to learn from this book when I'm finished reading it? Perhaps most of you have seen a piece of abstract art. And when you look at a piece of abstract art, I think many of you will probably say, I don't get it. And the reason you say I don't get it is because I don't understand the purpose behind this piece of art. And yet there are other people who look at the same piece of abstract art and, and they will enjoy it because they will use their imagination to make that piece of art speak for, uh, speak to them. And so they may see all kinds of things in it, even things perhaps that the, the, uh, the artist didn't intend. Now for many, the book of Revelation may seem to be like that piece of abstract art that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and you can read all kinds of things into the book. Well, thankfully, we don't need to guess about the purpose of the book of Revelation. For John tells us what the purpose is at the very beginning. He says in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, and here comes the purpose, for what must soon take place. For what must soon take place. And so this book is called Revelation. Because the Lord Jesus comes to reveal to us the things about the future, things that John says are soon going to take place. You know that throughout the, the scriptures already in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people Israel and in the New Testament the same. God warns God, his people, he says, do not go to astrologers. Do not go to the soothsayers. Do not go to the fortune tellers in order to discover what the future may hold. Why not? Because he says they do not know the future. No one knows the future. Only God knows the future. Why? Because God is the one who determines the things that are going to happen here on this earth. 
And so when the Lord Jesus goes to heaven, he now also wants us as his people to, to know about the things that will soon take place. And so we understand why the Lord Jesus gives to us this last message, the book of Revelation. He wants us to know this, beloved. He wants you to know that he is the one who is in control of your life and he's in control of the future. And therefore, he wants to give you a glimpse about the things that are going to happen. But the history of this world, he says, is not a history that is out of control. Even when it may often seem like there's chaos all around us and when the world is going mad, uh, when people are bombing other people, as we see that in Europe today. The Lord says, I am in control also of the history of this world and everything has its own purpose. And so, John, or there, and so Jesus now tells John, he says, John, you need to write down what you see, what I will show you. And you are to go and you are to take that message and you are to send it to the seven churches who are there in Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is where, is where what we today would refer to as uh, Turkey. And so Jesus wants to reveal to these churches in Asia Minor, what today is Turkey, about the things that will soon take place. That means, beloved, that much of what this book talks about will already happen in the life of the church in the days of the Apostle John. The things that happen in the lives of the believers that will happen in their life should not be a surprise. Jesus already tells them these things are things that you can expect will indeed happen. And beloved, when you understand what Jesus is doing here, it also helps us to understand the book for us today. Because the book doesn't just talk about thing, uh, things that will happen in the future. It talks about the things that have happened in the past, things that will continue to happen in our life today, and indeed things that will happen to the church in the future. And so God here is, and the Lord Jesus here is speaking to the church of all ages. He says to the church of all ages, these are the things that you can expect will happen in your life today and what will happen also in the future. And, the re and his purpose here, beloved, is that he might comfort us to know, to realize that the history of this world in which we're living is, al is always in, under his control. And so as we look at this book, we see John is imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Patmos was an island that's a little off the coast of modern-day Turkey. John says that he was imprisoned there because of, for the sake of the gospel. He was imprisoned there because he was proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus. So you say John was being persecuted for his faith. And then in verse 10, he tells us, he says that he was in the, that he was in the Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit came to him in a trance, when he heard a voice like a trumpet. John said he did not see who was speaking. When he turned around at that noise, what did he see? He saw seven golden lampstands. And then among the lampstands, someone like a son of man. John then describes what he sees. He's, he sees a son of man who is dressed in a robe that goes down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. His hair is white like wool, white as snow, eyes like blazing fire. He has feet like bronze glowing in a furnace and a voice like rushing waters. And he held seven stars. And out of his mouth there was a sharp double-edged sword. 
and his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Read that description. There's all kinds of symbolism behind all those things. Many of those symbols reflect things you already read about and you read of in the Old Testament. We don't want to get lost in the details this morning. So first of all, we want to understand the bigger picture. Who is this Son of Man that John sees? Well, the Son of Man introduces himself more clearly in verse 17 and 18 as the first and the last, the living one who was dead, who is now alive forever and ever. And he holds the keys of death and Hades, which likely is hell. And so this detailed description about the, the Son of Man describes for us the Lord Jesus, the one who died on the cross, who rose up from the dead, and who now lives forever. And so the first thing we need to understand is the Lord Jesus is speaking here to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus is the one who is now ascended into heaven. He is the one who will now reveal to us the things that will happen and things that are happening now and things that will happen. And then Jesus explains in verse 20 that the seven stars in his right hand, he says, these are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Well, the seven lampstands that represent the seven churches to whom the Lord Jesus is writing his letters in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. These seven churches, beloved, these are real churches. These are churches that are really meeting and God and the Lord Jesus and uh, also has a unique message for each one of those real congregations. In verse, th- in verse 13, John sees that uh, Jesus is among the lampstands, which means that, that he is living in the midst of his churches. In chapter 2, verse 2, he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds. In other words, the Lord Jesus says to them, and he says to the other churches as well, he says, I see everything that has taken place there in your congregation. I see the things that you are are doing. I see the things that you're saying. I see the things that lives in your heart. There's nothing hidden from the eyes of the Lord Jesus. He sees, beloved, he sees all our deeds. He knows everything that takes place also here in this congregation of Elora. He knows each one of you. He sees in the heart of each one. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're believing. He knows what what you're saying. He knows what you're doing every moment of your life. And then John says that in each of these churches, there is an angel to whom the Lord Jesus writes. The word angel itself simply means messenger. So Lord Jesus may simply be speaking here about the minister in each congregation, or he may be speaking about the leadership within the church. Some suggest that the angel simply represents the whole congregation. Again, we can discuss that and maybe come to a different conclusion, but what is important is this, is that the angel represents each one of those congregations. There's one other important element that we read here, and that is there are seven, seven churches. Well, we know that there are more than seven churches in Asia Minor. So we need to ask, that raises the question, so why only seven? Well, we know that seven is an important number in scriptures, and it is an important number in the book of Revelation. It comes, over, comes up over and over again. It's a number that represents completeness and fullness. 
And therefore, the seven churches, you can say, represents every church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus addresses the specific needs of each one of these seven churches. These are real churches to whom he is writing. Yet below, you can say that together they represent the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while the Lord Jesus is addressing the situation in each one of those churches, at the very same time, he's also addressing the church of all ages. That means that also through these churches, beloved, he's speaking to you. So Jesus was not just living among those seven churches, but he continues to, to live among the churches even today. That means he's also living here in your midst in Alora. And that is a great comfort for us, and it's a great comfort for the church of all ages. Jesus is the living Lord who lives among his church through all the ages. He is the first and he is the last. He is there with us from the beginning, and he will be there with the church to the very end. And when we look at the big picture of the history of this world, understand this, beloved, the Lord Jesus is always present in this world. We will always, and you will always, find him in the midst of his church. You'll find him always living among his people. He's never absent from his people. The very last words that the Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 were these, as I am with you always, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now you notice that the church is described here as the lampstand in this world. Well, that which will immediately come to mind to the serious reader of Scripture who knows the Old Testament is that the lampstand with the seven lights is found also in God's temple in Jerusalem. Right? It is the source of light in the temple. But likely by the time that John receives his vision, the temple is, is gone. If John sees his vision after the year 70 A.D., as I think most, uh, uh, most uh, scholars understand, although there are also those who think that it was given before 70 A.D., before the fall of the temple. But if, they say, it was given after, John sees it after 70 A.D., that means that the temple uh, has been destroyed by the Romans. And so while in, in, the, in the past uh, the light was shining in the temple in, in Jerusalem, now John sees that the light is shining in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the light of God was present in the temple long ago, today it is present within the church. That is the reason, Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 20, that the seven lampstands are the seven churches, and that these represent the church of all ages. Right? The church of Christ is a lamp. That means, beloved, that you are a light in the midst of this world, in the midst of this evil, this corrupted world in which we live. In the book of Revelation, the Lord comes and he paints a picture of the whole history of this world from the beginning to the end. And you look at that history, you can say that the history itself, it's a dark history. It is full of sin and evil, full of corruption. There is wickedness of all kinds around you. And there's all kinds of devastation in the world in which we live. If you were to put this on a, on a canvas, then on the canvas it would be a dark painting. And in the darkness of that painting, there you would also see those lampstands shining throughout the world and through the whole, throughout the whole history of the earth. 
Because wherever the church is being gathered, there the light is shining in the darkness. And the reason that the church is a light in this world isn't because we're so good or because we're better than the other people in the world. Your beloved, the reason that you're a light is because the Lord Jesus is the one who lives within you. He is the one who lives within the congregation, within his church. Remember Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Right? We are the light because we give witness to the light. And the light is Jesus Christ. If Jesus lives in his church, that also means that he knows everything within his church. In the seven letters, in chapters 2 to 3, Jesus repeatedly says to the church, he says, I know, I know, I know. And then he goes on and he explains to them what he knows and what he sees in, in, the, in their congregation. I know your deeds. I know your afflictions. I know where you live and so on. And when the Lord Jesus looks at his churches, you notice here is that he also sees they're not all the same. There are some churches that he commends for their faithfulness. Other churches that he admonishes because of their weaknesses and because of their unfaithfulness. The light does not shine as brightly in each congregation. One congregation may be commended for their faithful service and others are reprimanded by the Lord Jesus when he calls them to repentance and to change and he warns them that they're in danger of having their light snuffed out. And so beloved, when you, when you read these personal letters of the Lord Jesus to these seven churches, they are appeals. They are the appeals of the Lord Jesus for his church and for his people to listen to the voice of their Lord, to listen to the voice of our master. And at the end of each of those letters, there is an appeal. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so when Jesus addresses the situation in these seven churches, beloved, he's then also addressing and speaking to all his churches throughout the ages, also to you. The issue facing the believers in, in these churches in the days of John are issues that continue to face the church even today. When you read these passages, Jesus Christ also calls you and I to reflect on our life as the church, as his church. Right? The warnings to these believers long ago are important warnings also for us. And the encouragements that the Lord Jesus gives are also an encouragement for us. So Jesus doesn't only give warnings, but he also gives an encouragement. And so this is, you can say, the big picture in the book of Revelation. Here we see the church as lampstands. The church is our light spread over the whole earth. And when you read through the rest of the book of Revelation, it will help us to understand the relationship that also takes place between the church and the people of this world. Right, the, book, the rest of Revelation is going to reveal to us there is this tension, a tension between the light and the darkness. The darkness cannot stand the light, and it constantly is busy trying to put out the light. And although there will be difficult periods within the life of the church, yet in the end the church will be victorious. The light will prevail over the darkness the great enemy will be destroyed and the church as the very people of Christ will be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
And that's why there's another wonderful refrain at the end of each letter to the seven churches. The refrain is, well, the one who is victorious, the one who has conquered. All those, Jesus says, who are victorious will be blessed. That means that to each church the Lord gives, indeed, a different blessing. As we look at the big picture, Christ comes and he gives to us the incentive. Beloved, he also comes to you this morning to give you the incentive to remain strong in your faith. Gives you an incentive not to be intimidated by the powers of darkness. The incentive that you are not seduced by the sinful things of the world. For Jesus makes it very clear, he says, all those who remain faithful and remain loyal to me will receive the eternal blessings from the Lord. The wonderful message Christ gives in Revelation is that the church will prevail, and as the church, we will be victorious. Why? Because we have the Lord Jesus on our side, the one who stood up to the powers of darkness, the one who came and even allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. Why? Because he also had the power to take up his life again in the resurrection. But before the final victory, the Lord also warns us as church that we will face suffering, We'll have to deal with affliction for the sake of our Lord. John speaks about that in chapter 1, verse 9, when he writes this. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. You see, what the book of Revelation shows us is that our victory will come through suffering. Beloved, your victory is going to come through tribulation. The Lord Jesus does not want us to become discouraged. He doesn't want you to become discouraged when you have to endure tribulation and when you endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. That's why he comes and he gives to us this glimpse of the future because he wants also us to understand what we may indeed expect. And when we see the things that the Lord Jesus tells us about the future, you see those things taking place, and then he says, do not become discouraged, but take heart. Take heart because these things must happen before the final victory comes when the Lord Jesus will return in the clouds, when every eye will see him in verse 7. John says in verse 9 that he is our companion in suffering, in kingdom, and in patient endurance. You see, what John has experienced as an apostle is also what the seven churches are and will experience in their lives. John, at this time, he's exiled on the island of Patmos because he was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the churches, likewise, are suffering because they're witnessing to the name of the Lord Jesus. In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus is showing the church and he shows us that we should expect, indeed, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Beloved, being a Christian, believing in the Lord Jesus is not meant to be easy. It's not like when you turn to the Lord Jesus, all your problems are going to be gone and your life will become better and everything will be just wonderful. No, the Lord shows us, no, as a church, you can expect that you will suffer for the sake of your faith. You can expect that there are going to be persecutions of various kinds. You may expect there may be times that you will be put to death for my sake. And in the visions that follow, the Lord tells us more about what those conflicts will be. 
And when he reveals to us the powers of the world that will come and will attempt to destroy the church and the work of the Lord Jesus. They will do so in many and different various ways. Sometimes they will put believers to death. Other times they will make the lives of God's people difficult by taking away our right to make a living. Making it hard to participate in the economy. Other times the world will come and they will seduce us as believers with the material things and with the earthly temptations around us. You need to be aware, beloved, of those things that can happen in our lives. So that we are ready when they do happen, that we do not fall, that we do not despair. And then this book, Revelation, will also reveal to us that behind the conflicts, all the conflicts in this life, all the conflicts that we face in our life, there is a greater spiritual battle that is taking place. It reveals to us that the devil is working together with the powers of the world that he might destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He might destroy us. But you know, the Lord Jesus does not only want you to see the suffering of the church, but we also need to see that we share in the kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. What Jesus shows us in this book is that the kingdom of God, it is, beloved, it is coming into the world, and it is coming into the world with great power. If you jump towards the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 12, there you will see a picture of the Lord Jesus riding on a white horse into this world, and he's waging war on the wicked powers of this world. And there on the head of the Lord Jesus are many crowns, revealing that he is the great ruler. And out of his mouth that we see, out of his mouth there is a sharp sword, a, a, a symbol of his word, by which he strikes down the nations. You see, but what we don't always see, because our eyes are closed to it, or we're just are not able to, to see it. But we don't, we don't always see. But that which the revelation reveals to us and opens our eyes so that we begin to see it is that the kingdom of God today, beloved, the kingdom of God today is conquering already the nations. Believe it or not, it's happening. Because wherever the gospel is being preached, the Lord Jesus is conquering the hearts and he's conquering the minds of many people. And then in the third place, John says that we are companions with him in patient endurance. You see, the church is being attacked in many ways. That will also become clear later on in the book of Revelation. The attacks of the powers of darkness are going to be fierce. For the believers of Christ will face many trials and tribulations because the powers of darkness do not like what the Lord Jesus is doing as he's conquering the world for the kingdom. And then John says, the Lord calls you to patiently endure the sufferings and the trials for your faith. And the reason that you can endure the hardships and the trials is because of the hope that you have, beloved, the hope that the Lord gives to you for the future. Right? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with Christ. Beloved, that's the glorious hope that Christ gives to you here in the book of Revelation. You see, the point of this book is, is not so that we can figure out all the details about what's going to happen in the future. The book of Revelation is not a crystal ball by which we are able to figure out future events. But the book 
that the point of this book is that it might help us to focus on the Lord Jesus. To focus on the Lord Jesus as our Lord and as our King. As the Church of Christ, we look to the Lord Jesus to protect us. And we know that He will care for us also in the trials and the troubles of this life. He comes in this book and He wants to assure you, beloved, that, that you will indeed win the great battle. He assures us that we may look forward also to that great day of the great victory when all his and all our enemies will be utterly and completely destroyed. And then he will bring us all into the glorious kingdom of our God forever and ever. Amen.